JJ Cooper, Kyle Glazer. We are here on a, well, it was a crazy night and a crazy morning as we recap what happened in Tuesday's really, I would say, pretty wild NL and ALCS. What a difference a day makes as we sit here talking about this. We are talking about an NLCS where the Braves still lead 2-1, but it was just a couple, just a few outs away from saying the Braves have a commanding, dominating, put it on the board, almost 3-0 lead in their series. Instead, the Dodgers win the game. It's now 2-1. It's now a situation where the series feels a whole lot closer than it did just a day ago. And then you flip it over to the AL, and in the ALCS, the Astros facing a game that they absolutely positively had to win. It felt like Zach Greinke goes out and didn't have any more length than we thought that he might. And it didn't matter. The Astros offense wakes up, shows how they're just as, uh, just as ferocious as that ferocious Red Sox lineup. And here we are in that series. Also, we are in a situation where it, it's not over. And so Kyle, you were at what was a, a very quiet uh, turned into very loud Dodger Stadium yesterday. They had the shot on the broadcast of it wasn't Kirk Gibson hitting the home run with brake lights coming out of the parking lot, but they did show there was too light still to have even see the brake lights really, but they did show that there were cars leaving and then it all changed. That was unbelievable. I, mean, I still can't believe that happened. So just to set the scene a little bit, for those who were watching on TV, I don't know if you could really gather from the broadcast. The Dodgers were dead. Dodger Stadium was absolutely dead. The Dodgers were not having good at-bats. They were going down quickly. I mean, there was no inkling of them mounting a comeback. They didn't have a runner in scoring position after the second inning until the eighth. Defensively, they weren't making plays. We saw Gavin Lux drop that ball in center field. We saw Corey Seager not get a ball at shortstop. He probably should have had. I mean, the reliever slog was just going on and on and on. Nothing was happening that gave you any thought that the Dodgers were going to get back into this game. And the crowd knew it. Everyone in the press box knew it. They were dead. And that, that was the word we were all using, like, God, this team is just dead. And then post-game, Dave Roberts even acknowledged, yeah, we were dead. So we were all expecting it to be 3-0 Braves. A couple of us were booking hotel rooms in Atlanta for – games three, four, five of the World Series, because no matter what happens, if the Braves win, they would host three, four, five, regardless of who wins the ALCS. And then all of a sudden it just changed. And the one thing I noticed as this was happening is like, you know, this game feels a lot bigger than four to two, and then that became five to two. But the Dodgers never really let it get out of hand for everything that was going wrong. You kept looking at the scoreboard and saying, you know, it's only a two-run game. Then the Braves tacked on another, and it was a three-run game. And the Dodgers' bullpen is kind of the unsung hero of this game because they kept it close. They kept it within striking distance, and it was really a team effort to do so. They ended up using nine pitchers to get through nine innings. But after that fourth inning where things got really out of hand, the Braves came back and took that 4-2 lead. The Dodgers' bullpen held the Braves to one run. And then all of a sudden, two hits, Bellinger's up, and you look at it, it's like, hey, this is a guy that, yeah, has the power to change the game with one swing. 
falls behind one, two. And the first swing of that at bat was an ugly swing. It was a classic Cody Bellinger. I'm trying to hit this ball 600 feet. He fell down on one knee, twisted his body around. It was like, uh, this is not conducive to success here. This looks like the bad version of Cody Bellinger. Got down one, two, 96 mile an hour fastball, high, well out of the zone. And he made an adjustment. Roberts talked about it. You know, at the end of the year, he lowered his hands and he started making some two strike adjustments widening his stance, getting the loop out of his swing, being much more square and direct to the ball. And without those end-of-season changes, he doesn't make the adjustment to go get that pitch. And he hit it out. A Dodger Stadium was bedlam. It was absolute bedlam. And I was seated in the press box next to some veteran sports writers, guys who said, you know, oh, my first World Series I covered was 1977 or 1978. And a lot of guys who were there for Kirk Gibson, and I didn't say this, two of them said, this is the craziest I've seen this place since Kirk Gibson's home run. And that might seem like prisoner of the moment, given Kirk Gibson's was the World Series. It was a walk-off. It was the bottom of the ninth. But in the sense of just how insane the turn of events was going from, this is a team that's dead. They've got nothing. And if they go down 3-0, I mean, that's pretty much their season. And for them to come back like they did, as suddenly as they did, as dramatically as they did, even after it was over, we're all sitting there going, what just happened? This was unbelievable. And an instant classic we're all going to remember for a long time. So that's what stands out to me. Again, there were some things that led up to it. The Dodgers bullpen, keeping it close was huge. But that moment, that home run was just, wow. <laughs> the other thing about that game was is that the Dodgers, the flip side of this is the Dodgers almost, this could have been a game one, game two of the Red Sox Astros series early on. I mean, Charlie Morton did not have it in the early going. And did it feel like a little bit to you, like, oh, at that point, like, oh, you, you, if you let a guy off the hook like that, that it could come back to, to really cost you? Absolutely. Charlie Morton gave up two-run homer, two batters into the game. The Dodgers are up. He then walks. The base is loaded. I mean, four walks in the first inning. And the fact that Dodgers – didn't get anything else after that home run. And in the second inning, uh, they had a runner in scoring position again, couldn't get anything. And then Morton settled in. And you're like, oh, they missed their opportunity to blow this game open. And then when the Braves scored four in that fourth inning, that took forever. It just felt like all the air went out of the Dodgers. I mean, this was absolutely a situation where everything pointed to the Dodgers losing this game. Their inability to tack all the Braves coming back and knocking Bueller out of the game. Dodgers having to go to their exhausted bullpen early defensively they weren't making plays they weren't threatening offensively the only thing again that was working was their bullpen came in including guys like Evan Phillips and Justin Brule and Phil Bickford not options one two and three here a b and c I should say in this bullpen they came up huge any way you look at it this was a game you're like yeah the Braves are winning this game after everything that transpired and then the Dodgers pulled it out of a hat Dave Roberts called it one of the biggest hits he's ever been a part of or ever seen, which is saying something because Dave Roberts was a member of the 2004 Red Sox and scored a run on what was one of the biggest hits in postseason. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, 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 I agree I, it's hyperbole, but, but just the fact that he said that, given his credibility and his context and his history being a part of big hits, it gives you a sense of just how high the emotion was in the aftermath of that game and how unlikely it all felt. I'll give that. That is also prisoner of the moment because as the two I'm just quoting go, him. I'm just quoting I, him. I know. I'm not faulting <laughs> you. I'm just saying he once he gets away from last night, I'm sorry. It's just not true because that is one of the all-time moments of one of the all-time series in baseball history, and we don't know that this one's going to be part of it. But I get it. 
you're in the moment. I get it. I'm not. He did say it was the biggest and one of the biggest. And so, yeah. Okay. um, Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. It was, it was pretty remarkable. So I will say if you're the Braves, Luke Jackson came in afterward and, and he was right. He said, the the sad thing is I'd throw that exact same pitch again. And he's not wrong. It was a good pitch. It's a a great pitch. 96 up and out of the zone ahead. One, two. I mean, it's a great pitch and he did nothing wrong. And again, you look at this for the Braves. They didn't, do anything wrong this wasn't a game where they shot themselves in the foot this wasn't a game where they blew it I mean their reliever the right guy you want on the mound in that situation made a good pitch and a good hitter got it they honestly snicker and Luke Jackson and maybe it's just words but even judging by their body language their tone they seemed very much like hey you know what it happens turn the page let's go this didn't strike me as a team that looked defeated after a heartbreaking loss where they've lost all their momentum. I actually thought that they just seemed like a team that is going to take it in stride. They acknowledge, hey, this happened. We're still up 2-1. We executed. Their hitter did something great, and now we move on. So I do think the Braves are okay. They're not dead. This isn't a back-breaking moment that's going to cost them the series. But I will say, as everything unfolded the way it did, I couldn't help but think about our conversation yesterday about how Braves fans expect the worst, but Georgia sports fans expect the worst and collapses are to be expected. And that thought definitely crossed my mind watching this unfold in real time. Multiple people I know mentioned uh, Layritz and Wollers from 1996 as they, uh, after that, like that is the, the psyche that is there. And, and understandably is there. Now, I, I want to say one thing I, I, I said yesterday about the Braves needing to do a bullpen day for today's game versus the Dodgers having Julio Urias, who did throw, but is, you know, on, re, otherwise it's on schedule. And, and I think that's a little, I was probably a little bit of misnomer on my part. Unlike when we talked about Zach Greinke and Christian Javier, we'll get to that after, you know, in a, in a few minutes. But unlike that scenario where you say, these guys are going to need to go further than they've gone in any time in the last several months in, in most of their cases. Oscar Noah has been a part of the race rotation for much of the year when healthy. And he was working four to five inning starts. This He had a five inning start this month. So it's not the same thing. He is, you could kind of say it's kind of like a Jose Urquidy kind of thing where you say, oh, he hasn't pitched a whole lot lately. But 80, 90 pitches is not something outlandish for him. I don't think that they'll want him to go that far. But if they'd said, like, we're going to give it the ball to Anoa today, it's not something where they say, oh, if we get three out of him, that's all that we can expect. I should make that clear. This is an actual real live member of the Braves starting rotation who was doing so in September and October. That's not unusual to say, oh, he hasn't pitched as much because we just played a division series that played five games. It's not the same thing as saying, oh, who's going who's gonna to start for uh, the Astros shrug shoulders. Yeah, Brian Snicker, as of last night, said he wasn't ready to commit to who would start this bullpen game. And you're right, Husker Noah is a 
full-fledged rotation member normally. I will say he's pitched only once since October 1st. And anytime you're talking about a guy that's pitched once in the last 19 days, there's certainly some rust that needs to be knocked off. And you mentioned, again, he was consistently 75 pitches, 80 pitches, 90 pitches. He can absolutely do it. But again, just when you haven't done it in just under three weeks, I'm just going to be curious to see, okay, how stretched out is he still? Because it's tough to keep it going when you haven't done it in a while. But yeah, there's no question. He's capable of it. And if everything's where the Braves want it to be, he should be able to get them some length, whether that's three, four, five, depending on how they want to play this out, what the situation is. We're going to have to see. But Julio Urias, we have to see what he can give the Dodgers, if he can overcome the fact he was used in game two and give them some length. Again, this Dodgers bullpen has been excellent. This was the second best bullpen in the majors this year. They've had a lot on their plate really since game four of the NLDS. That was Bueller on short rest. Game five, NLDS opener game. Urias comes in and he gave him four. The bullpen still had to cover a lot beginning and end. And they haven't gotten any length from any of their starters this series either. I mean, they've had five straight games now where the bullpens had to do a lot of heavy lifting. So it certainly would be nice if Julio Urias could go out there and give them five. We'll see again what he's capable of. But yeah, both these teams are in it. The Dodgers have new life. I mean, let's be clear. If they went down 3-0, that's not something teams come back from. The Braves are still in good position as well. They're up to one. They have Max Fried, Ian Anderson, Charlie Morton, all potentially still with another start to go. I will say Mark Bowman over at MLB.com pointed this out. Dodger Stadium has been a house of horrors for the Braves. The Braves have lost 10 straight games in Dodger Stadium, including the postseason, and 13 of 14 and 21 of 25. For whatever reason, Dodger Stadium is this mental block. They just cannot seem to get over different teams, different times, different eras. The Braves don't win in Dodger Stadium very often. So we'll see if they can get over that. This series has new life. And I just have to say, what a series it's been. Walk-offs in the first two games, followed by an unbelievable three-run homer to tie it in the bottom of the eighth in game three, followed by a go-ahead RBI double with two outs three batters later. This has been an unbelievable series. It, it has been unbelievable. It, if, if this series continues like this, I just poo-pooed it compared to the Red Sox-Yankees coming. The only, you mentioned yesterday, the only time that we've ever seen a team come back from 3-0 I'm still going to put that on a different level. But that said, this series is shaping up to be an all-timer so far because you have had drama in every single game. That's hard to get in a best of seven. We've gotten it so far, which is the perfect segue because after the break, we're going to talk about the ALCS and the drama has often, there's been drama, but you're not talking about a lot of one-run games in the ALCS. So we're going to talk about what happened in Astros Red Sox right after this break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we're back. So, Kyle, last night, Astros Red Sox, we get what seemed to be an Astros team really on the precipice. And I say that because they were down 2-1. They were in a situation where they they didn't have pitching for that game. They were going to throw Zach Reinke out there. We hope to get something out of Christian Javier. But after a, a series where Lance McCullers is already down, Luis Garcia's had to leave a game because of injury. With all that, they headed into game four, seemingly in a pretty dire situation. And here we are. They win 9-2. They have made it through the most difficult game they were going to have in this series from a pitching standpoint. Not that there's all, all problems are solved or anything if you're the Houston because they are not getting length from their starters. Their bullpen has to be starting to gasp and wheeze the further we get into the series. But all that being said, not only do they win 9-2 last night, blowing it open, they blow it open against Nate Eovaldi, who kind of the surprise, uh, surprise guy to come in out of the pen for the Red Sox, which also means when we talk about that Houston got through the worst of their pitching situation, it adds a little bit more doubt on the Boston side because if you said, how is Boston's pitching going to line up? I would say that Nate Eovaldi, starting pitcher, is a key part of this series, the rest of this series for Boston. So here we are. It's 2-2 for game five knowing that we're going to go back to Houston, this series feels different too. Yeah, using Nate Uvalde there, uh, a curious move to say the least, one I don't fully understand, and not just because it didn't work out, but 2-2 game in the ninth, you get another at bat. I just I don't understand using him in that situation. But, I mean, first and foremost, we talk about the Dodgers bullpen keeping that game close Give the Astros bullpen credit here, too. Zach Greinke, just to be frank, was not good. One in the third innings, three walks, a two-run homer. I mean, just was not effective. And the Astros find themselves down 2-1 again early. The Red Sox, we've seen jump out to big early leads to put games away in games two and three. And the Astros bullpen came in and shut them down. Brooks Raley, Christian Javier, Phil Maton, Kendall Graveman, Ryan Presley. They kept the Red Sox scoreless after the first inning. I mean, they kept that game close. This could have been blown open much earlier and made it a non-issue whether or not the Red Sox, how they lined up their bullpen at the end of the game. So give the Astros bullpen a tremendous amount of credit here. Christian Javier, especially three scoreless to get them through. That's huge right there. If you're the Red Sox, I mean, look, it hurts. And you have the guy you want on the mound there in the eighth with Garrett Whitlock and Jose Altuve just hits the time home run, one of the 
best, most dangerous hitters in baseball. It happens. We'll say that curveball Nate Uvalde threw that needs to be called a strike. Laz Diaz was missing calls on both sides throughout the game. And it's tough because you never want to blame the umpire or the one blown call for being the reason you lost because there are so many other moments you can point to and say, if this happened here, we execute this moment there. And then there were calls on both sides. It's not the mentality you want to take of, oh, start blaming the umpire, but that's a big call in a big moment in a big game. Mm-hmm. And that call's got to be made. And at the same time, Nate Uvalde's got to come back. I remember there was uh, an inning in the Braves-Brewers series. Tyler Matzik was on the mound. He threw a curveball that should have been strike three, didn't get it, and then came back and got a swing and miss anyway. So, I mean, the pitcher still has to come back and make another pitch. Calls are going to be missed, but at the same time, it shouldn't have come to that. That call's got to be made, and it's just a head-shaking moment for MLB in the postseason. The umpiring has not been great this postseason. Same thing in the Dodgers game last night, but for that many calls to be missed behind the plate, and especially one in a moment as big as that, that just can't happen. So there was a playoff game and Tyler Matzik pitched for the Braves. So, you know, so that, that would be, I, I have to kind of think back because that was every single one of them. It's amazing that Matzik, <laughs> yeah, I, for, I forget which one it was, but it was against right, the Brewers. But, I think it was game three or four. But the, the thing that strikes me, and I'm not, I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm the only one making this point. I think I saw Mike Petriello make it as well last night. There's a lot of things. I, I, if you don't watch baseball at all levels, if you just watch at the major league level, Sometimes you can think that things are being invented that actually are being done regularly elsewhere. And one of the things that is frustrating sometimes in college baseball, especially, is you'll see the ace pitcher throw, and after the game, they'll say, well, it, it was his throw day, as if throwing in a, you know, a, a key high leverage situation is the same thing as, as getting, you know, getting up a lather and, and working and throwing in the bullpen. And we're now seeing that. We've seen it. I mean, go back to go back to the Diamondbacks Yankees World Series and pretty much I felt like that that Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling were getting up every other inning in their non-starts because they were going to drag a wheezing bullpen to a World Series title so I don't want to say like it's never worked or anything but I do think that that is one of those decisions that it, it has it doesn't I don't I'm not saying because it didn't work I just don't think it's a great idea from the standpoint of if you're the Red Sox, you need, even if you win that game, there's still a good chance that you need Nate Eovaldi starting pitcher in this series again. I want to give him every bit of the chance to be the best starting pitcher he can in this series where he's going to need to get out. But that also does lead to this bigger picture question, that or this bigger picture thing that, that I think is useful for all of this, which is, I, one of the things I love about the postseason is that reminder every year of the uncertainty of this. Like, I, I will say with that, I don't agree with that Nadia Valdi decision. I didn't agree with the Julio Urias decision. I don't think it's a good idea to throw starters in those situations. At the same time, I'll also be the first to acknowledge that these are all we're dealing in probabilities. And the thing that gets tough is, is it's easy to base it on the result of what happens. Um, you know, the same way with openers and all that. And I've fallen, you know, prey to that at times myself. But we know that all of these front offices are desperately trying to win these postseason because this is where they are judged in many ways. We know at this point that 
it, it, Alex Cora is pretty much being, you know, fitted for uh, playoff manager sainthood in, in some ways, you know, going into that game. So we, we, we kind of know that he's pretty good at this. And that decision didn't work. Again, I don't necessarily even agree with it. But what I love about the postseason is, is these decisions often are, okay, I may think this and maybe I'm right and it's maybe I'm wrong. And it's, I love how many of these decisions are really difficult. And even umpiring that game, that was a bad night behind the plate. But everything is so magnified in the postseason. And I mean that in the best way. These things are all magnified where blowing that, just blow that one call, but blowing that one call on that Eovaldi breaking ball, that's a, that's a game changer. And that's, to me, what makes the postseason so great. And we're going to have more of these debates unknowable. We can think, but no one, literally no one in this knows. And that's what makes this so enjoyable. Again, I think in terms of the starters being used as relievers, some of it depends on the situation and depends on the team you have. You mentioned, obviously, Diamondbacks Yankees 2001 is the archetype of it, but we saw it a lot in 2018 with the Red Sox and 2019 with the Nationals. And the context of that, and you have to take into account that context, is both those teams' bullpens were horrible. They had no better options. We talked about this with the Dodgers and Julio years. The Dodgers are not a bullpen that they have to do that. They're the second best bullpen in Major League Baseball this year. When your bullpen is that good and you do that, you're just wasting a starter. It's not actually helping you. The Red Sox bullpen this year certainly had some ups and downs, but you look at it over the course of the year, they're actually pretty good. They finished top half of the majors in ERA. They've been better recently. Just comes back to, did they really, really need to do that? And the answer is no. And as a result, now they're looking at a more tired Nate Uvalde than he would have otherwise been now throwing a game six back in Houston which will be a game that either the Red Sox need to win to go to the World Series or save their season. Uh, it's just not an optimal setup. And again, you do what you have to do based on the team you have, but in both the Dodgers and Red Sox games, these are not things they needed to do based on the team they had. And it's unfortunate. Um, and we'll see if those decisions cost them. We'll see what Urias can give the Dodgers today. We'll see what Uvalde can give the Red Sox in game six. And Ultimately, the managers are going to have to answer for it if it doesn't work out. And that's part of the job. That's part of the gig. And that's part of postseason baseball. And, but again, to tie in what I'm saying before, there's also the very real possibility that one of them, if they pitch well, it doesn't mean that that decision that they made before is any better. And if they pitch poorly, it doesn't necessarily mean – if Julio Urias comes out afterwards, which he probably would not, but if you pump him through serum, he's like – man, I didn't have it tonight. My arm was dead. Okay, that's one thing. But it's also very possible. Again, I love the, the variability of this. I, I love understanding that point of I don't know. Like if Julio Urias pitches poorly, it may be because they had him go out there when they should have just had him throw in the bullpen. Or it could be that he's facing a really good Braves lineup and he didn't have it because we've also had guys who – we're coming in fully rested who are good pitchers and have done exactly that. And so we'll have probabilities afterwards, but we won't have certainty because that's the thing I love about this, especially about baseball in general, but especially in the postseason is we think we can suggest, but we just don't know because this is, 
That's what. That's why I'm so excited about today. We don't know. We have no idea. Oscar Noah at his best. And again, I don't even know he's starting today. We don't know that. But at his best, he can be really hard to hit. So it could be something where I could construct right now a narrative where you say he goes out there and he says after the game, you know what? I've really got run down a little bit at the end of the season. This was a harder workload for me than I'm used to pitching in the majors like this. And that time where I got to kind of rest and recover and just do some side sessions and bullpens really gave me my best stuff that I've had since early in the season. And I felt like that really allowed me to tack. That's a plausible path for today's game. Or the other equally plausible is he goes out there, he walks three and one and two thirds, he gets lifted and they go to the pen. And all of a sudden this series is, you know, Braves fans basically at this point are like, I could see it. I, I, I said on our Slack channel last night, because, you know, if you're a Braves fan, it probably is just best just to assume that that's what's going to happen. Just assume it. And then if somehow the Braves win this, it just is more enjoyable. But then you're already prepared for what it's been like for the majority of your Braves fans. Set your expectations low and be happy with the surprise. Right. You know, it, it is, you know, so if it does, you're like, wow, I, I didn't expect that, you know, but again, that's probably the best way to do it, but it is going to be very fun. It's going to be uh, another, I know it'll be a very enjoyable day for you because there's few places that you would rather be than being at a uh, playoff game, understandably. So I, I, I'm, I'm excited to dive into another great day of baseball. Yeah, this is going to be really a critical game in both series. You've got the Red Sox and Astros going. Series is tied 2-2, game five tonight. Dodgers-Braves 2-1. I'm going to be curious to see how the Braves bounce back. Uh, it's a heartbreaking loss, as we talked about, though. They seem pretty composed afterward, and this is a prime opportunity for the Dodgers to jump back in it and even this thing up. And it's also a prime opportunity for the Braves to reassert some control and go up 3-1, knowing that they've got two of the final three games in Atlanta, potentially. So really pivotal game in both series, and We'll be watching closely, uh, and I am looking forward to it. I'll be back out at Dodger Stadium tonight. And like I said, this is the best time of year to be a sports fan, and this is a big reason why. It'll be fun to watch. For Kyle, I'm JJ. Thank you again for the download. If you get a chance, check out everything we have at BaseballAmerica.com. A lot of fun stuff up there right now. You got Kyle's story on Cody Bellinger today. You've got also, if you wonder, if you wonder the question, I hate to spring this up. I'm sorry. I'm bringing up something that you probably don't want to think about, but we keep getting the question. If there is the CBA expires, if there's a lockout, if there's a strike, if there's something real lockout at this point, because there was not a strike during the season, but if that happened, what happens to the minors? You can check that out over at baseballamerica.com. We explain it all, everything you want to know. Always a great time to subscribe. Also check it out. The real live cover, the actual cover of our 2022 prospect handbook is on the site. If you check out the store, you can pre-order yours now and it looks sweet with a really cool photo of Bobby Witt Jr. on the cover. If you want to check that out for Kyle, I'm JJ. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.